0: Thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We start a new chapter today as we are on the end of our study in John. We're turning a corner and the finish line is right up ahead And we left off in chapter 19 in a very sorrowful time. It's a very difficult time uh, at the burial of Jesus Christ after he dies on the cross. Notice with me in chapter 19 verse 41 in John's gospel where it says, Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been yet laid, and they laid There they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Now this is no small thing. We read through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as it is theologically, as it is we're just reading through the scriptures, but this is no small thing. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, have lost their best friend. They've lost the one that they completely committed their life to. They are not just going through the grieving process. They're not just going through the, the, the process of seeing a friend die. And then that next level of seeing their friend die viciously and torturously. But in all reality, when they sealed that tomb in their minds at this point, they lost everything. They lost everything. Jesus was everything to them. In every sense of that word, they left their careers, they left their families, they they left their future, and they set it in the man who they believed to be Messiah. And even though Jesus taught them over and over again that he would die and rise again, as you'll see in a moment, they still aren't at that place of full understanding. And we read the Bible sometimes just so antiseptic, so clean. And we hear of these things repetitively over and over again. Jesus died, rose again. Jesus died, rose again. And we forget the reality of what the disciples and what the followers and those that were close to him were experiencing. I mean, we just learn that his mom is there watching her son die. And Jesus, one of the last things he does is give care of his mom to John. I mean, there's a lot of emotion going on in this text if it was put into a movie form as it has before the m- the music behind would be very dramatic the scene would be very dark there would be in the background tears and weeping and wailing they would show in the distance the disciples walking away thinking that they've lost everything and in a very real way in those moments that's exactly what they felt. I mean this was not just a friend to them. This does not just an acquaintance. This is someone you text with and see every... They just finished spending over a thousand days day and night. thousand days plus living and following and learning from this man. It was like Recently, it brought to mind on Friday, I did a a hospital visit. I visited an older man, a former pastor here in town, uh, who's, I'm connected with his son, and I met this man, I visited him a couple weeks ago in the, in the um, assisted living that he was in, and he was doing really well and stronger after a stroke, and now he's taken a turn for the worse, and he's in the ICU, and as I'm going in and visiting and praying with him, as his son was walking me to the elevators, uh, as we were turning the corner, there were the doctors that were coming in, an anesthesiologist and a doctor were coming into the room, and we're going to prep him for a procedure, and my buddy was telling the doctors please take care of my dad please be careful with him please and he's pleading with them to take care of them like a like like the like his dad and he used this phrase with them he, he looked the doctor in the eye and says please take care of him. please be gentle with them because this man is my hero and that is the that that really contains the feeling that we have at the end of verse 19 at the end of chapter 19. Their hero has died. Not a a comic book hero, not a fictional hero, but truly everything that they live for up to this point in life has been buried. And for three years, or excuse me, for three days, they're going to be wrestling with things, because that's where chapter 20 picks up three days later. And other gospels fill the time in for the three days, but John picks up on verse 1 of chapter 20 on the first day of the week. Which, by the way, what is the first day of the week? Sunday. We're on it right now. We'll get to that. It's going to be important in a future study. But just remember, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's the other disciple? John. Thank you, John, for reminding us that Jesus loved you. And we'll see John has a few things in here again, but he's the one that Jesus loved and he said, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, she says, and we do not know where they have laid him. So those are words of concern. Even as Jesus prepared her for his resurrection, she's concerned. Where is he? The body is gone. Mary Magdalene had such a great love for Jesus. She had such a great love. Affinity for what he has done in her life. Jesus literally rescued her from herself and from sin, literally. I was reading in the newspaper yesterday, I I get these alerts of of different articles that catch my attention, and one of them was from Minnesota, uh, from another pastor friend of mine. It was an article in their newspaper uh, online about a woman uh, who was caught up in drugs and caught up in all kinds of uh, crazy lifestyle that found herself walking into a Calvary Chapel and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, her life was utterly transformed. And it, it was attributed in that article that a lot of what God had, had done in her life was through a pastor uh, teaching her the Bible at this Calvary Chapel. And I remember, it was so good for Mary Magdalene, I mean it was, so encouraging to be reminded that Mary Magdalene's story is continuing even on to this day. God is still delivering. God is still saving. God is still rescuing. And it, wouldn't it be good if the Denver Post would just give us one page every week that we could give a testimony of God's deliverance in their lives? Wouldn't it be with all the junk that's going on, of all the things, you know, just, just blatant, blatant, when you're watching the news as we did yesterday you can only just conclude. It's just blatant evil. It's just evil. That, you, just, you label it evil. And now, you know, if you're listening, if, you're, if you own the Denver Post or you're like in charge, give us a page. But, but please also let us have that page on the internet because most people don't read the newspaper anymore. So, you know, I know 20 people get the post still at their, at their, on their garage, you know, on the driveway there, but we want it on. And I know, I mean, if, if you had to say, if, if you had to say today, if I asked you, do you have a dramatic rescuing story of Jesus Christ in your life? How many would say that's you? So, so we, could fill the, we could fill the year right now, just one year, once a week. And now some of you didn't raise your hand. You go, well, not me, Ed. What will my story be? Listen, your story is just as dramatic. Like, for example, everyone that we just all raised our hand right now, God actually delivered us out of stupidity, out of sin, out of destruction. And that's dramatic. That's huge. But you guys, some of you, that you didn't raise your hand, you go, you know, I was just kind of raised in a Christian home and and I did pretty well my whole life and I avoided that. Your testimony is just as dramatic because while we were delivered out of it, you were delivered from it. And so don't think for a moment, you know, I want to raise my hand one day. I think I need to go get a testimony. You don't do that. Don't do that. You have one. You have one. Because God kept you from stupidity. And take it from us. You don't want to experience it. You don't need to experience it. And it would be cool because this little newspaper in Minnesota, they, they, they put a page just for testimony. And so Denver Post people, if you work at the Denver Post, Go to your editor, do whatever you need to do, go right upstairs and say, hey, my pastor said he wants a page a week. Give it to him. <laughs> and I know we could fill with all the churches in town of the change and the radical change that's happening in people's lives. That's Mary Magdalene. She was demonically possessed. And Jesus rescued her, changed her. She was a mess. It's beautiful. She comes to the tomb on the first day of the week and And it's empty. Came to pay her respects. The one that forgave her, the one that loved her, the one that served her, the one that wasn't embarrassed by her is gone, his body. So she runs to Peter and John to tell them the bad news. And Luke tells us in his gospel, let me read it to you in Luke 24, 9. Luke says they didn't believe her. And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other wi- women with them who told these things to the apostles. And listen, this is what it, this, this event, Luke describes it this way. And their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. There's a, there's a crisis of faith here. There's a crisis of having to deal with reality in the midst of grief. And I, I have to, I have to remind us today that it's easy to dismiss good news when we're discouraged. It's easy for us to focus on the worst when discouragement comes and knocks at our doors, to be weighed down by the cares and concerns of life. I've learned this, and I'm sure some of you can agree. If the enemy can get us discouraged... Then he's got like ninety percent of the victory right there. If he can just—it's like one of the most well-worn tools in the devil's toolbox—is discouragement, and just being able to 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 be to see life circumstances in a way that is bummed out. You might call it depressed. You can call it discouraged. You can call it just—you don't have any strength. You don't believe the word of God. You don't believe, You're jealous. You're covetous other people look happy. You don't. All of that sure does render a believer idle in a life. I remember, you can jot it down, I'd encourage you to read it later in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David, in one of his discouraging times, it's described for him that he despaired of life. You know, the Amalekites, the enemies of God, had come and sacked the city, stole all the stuff, but but what they stole that was of great value was the wife and kids, of David and his mighty men that were out fighting a battle. They come back to the city to find out that not only is everything gone, but so are their wife and kids. And it ticks off the guys that are with him and they're very mad at him, so much so that they wanna kill him. And that bummed him out. David hit an all-time low in his life. He was just coming out of a backslidden experience. Now he's out battling. Now he's lost everything. And the men that has been, been with him, the men that have served with him, the men have fought wars with him, now they've turned against him. But David does something, and we've studied this in depth. I've even taken this scripture, this section, and made a, a, a topical Bible study out of it. So you can go to the website or the app and search for it in 1 Samuel. But David does something in verse 6, that's so powerful, it says that when everybody is, when, when you don't have anyone to turn to, and here you are distressed, and nobody's answering the phone, and nobody's returning your text message, or whatever, you, you just feel alone, David said, the Bible says of David, that he encouraged himself in the Lord. And that's a skill we have to learn. In another translation, I think the New King James, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And time and time again, I and the other leaders here have walked alongside so many of you, training and teaching and encouraging you to strengthen yourself in the Lord. When other people's words don't help and your devotions seem dry and you you don't even believe the simple truths that you once believed, it's important to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And we have to be careful, church, with what the Bible calls the cares and concerns of life. We may not think that they are that big a deal, but they are. Jesus shares with us a couple warnings of how the cares of life have a way of choking the life of the Spirit. The cares of life, things like paying the bills. You know, there's only so so many months you can go through when you're unable to pay the bills before they start to weigh on you. The cares and concerns of life, the health of your marriage. You know, there's only so many weeks and so many months that you can endure in a difficult marriage, just the everyday cares of life, just sharing life together and cooking and cleaning, and especially when there's difficulty in your marriage, where you start to weigh you down. There's so many, so many times. I remember uh, in the corporate world, how many times the, the, our bosses and the company, whoever up there was making the decisions, would always use the word "layoffs" as a way to motivate us. And you can only get so many memos that if productivity doesn't increase, we're going to have more layoffs. And then watch the layoffs come. And, I mean, you can only have so many times your boss says, you know, if you don't do better, you may not be here. And the cares and concerns, or perhaps you're unemployed right now and, and you're looking for work. And it's just basic. You just want enough to p- provide for your family. You just want it, And the cares and concerns weigh you down or your health. You know, the doctor keeps going, you keep going through and that it's not a super serious sickness, but, but it's serious enough where it's just lingering. The cares and concerns of life, Jesus warns us of how they can discourage us if they get all the attention in our lives. And it's hard not to give attention to the cares and concerns of life because the cares and concerns of life are like breathing. They're with us all the time. And you might get one area improved and then another area falls. And then that gets improved and then this area fails. And Jesus warns us, listen, uh, turn over. Let's let's read it together. Let's go over to Luke chapter um, 8. Luke chapter 8. The cares and concerns of life. In this case, the care and concern of life with Mary Magdalene is grief. It's grief. It's the loss of her of her mentor, her hero, her deliverer, her Messiah, her savior, her close friend. Jesus warns us about the cares and concerns of life. Notice, he he describes when the seeds were being planted in verse 14. He says, and the one that fell among the thorns are those when they have heard, that's heard the gospel, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, And pleasures of life, and then they bring no fruit to maturity. Turn over to chapter 21. Jesus uses the same illustration for us to be careful of the cares and concerns of life, to match that with faith and trust in the Lord. Notice verse 34 of Luke 21. Now this is an interesting one. I want to pause just briefly on it for us. Jesus says, "But take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness." Let's pause there for a second. Carousing is a, a word that we would use today partying, the party scene, the club scene, maybe the the social scene if you're not into the younger crowd parties. You got the older crowd parties, and and you're going out and you're carousing and you're drinking and you're trying to escape and enjoy a good night and just have a good time. He says, "Be careful! Don't let your heart get weighed down by these things. Don't go out and solve your problems through drinking or through drugs, and whether it's legal alcohol or it's legal marijuana or now it's uh, in part of that article I share with you with that young lady." one of the things that she got caught up was uh, was the opiates. And she would go from doctor to doctor with legal prescriptions, trying to work her way through, although she lied to the doctors to get her OxyContin, and she got addicted to them. And she was just weighed down by the addiction. I think that most of us would say, Ed, I get it, man. I don't, I I don't want to be weighed down with that stuff. Uh, and I know from my background, I stay as far away as I can from it. I don't want anything to do with it. It wrecked my life. And we would all agree, I'm not under the party scene, man. I don't want to get drunk every night. Okay, but now notice what Jesus says. Don't let your hearts be weighed down with partying. Check. Drunkenness. Check. And then notice he says, the cares of this life. He puts them in the same category. Drunkenness, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. Partying, no, I, I'm not in, I don't want to be in that environment. I know that, that I'm susceptible. And we're like, oh, stay away, stay away. But then he puts cares of this life in the same category. That's the effect that the cares of this life can have on you and me. To distort our reality, to blind our vision, to sink our faith. Life easily weighs a person down, turning, us, uh, turning it into fear anxiety, discouragement, ultimately, ultimately depression, and, and on and on, rendering a believer useless temporarily for the kingdom. So what does Jesus say? He says, come unto me, you guys that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. But cares and concerns of life, that's where they are back, if you come back with me to John chapter 20, the cares and concerns of life. Now turning the corner a little bit I noticed too in this section that it's a blessing to see that the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ were believing women because women in that day and in many ways in our own day are not well respected or cared for and in that day they were very much devalued in the eyes of those that were important or those that were deemed important but women I want to remind you I want to remind you not only from the Bible and what the Bible teaches, but from our own hearts that we appreciate you. We appreciate all that you do for the kingdom. We appreciate you single moms that are holding fast the fort in your home. We appreciate you moms that are working full time and also raising a family. We appreciate you moms that are staying home. We appreciate you women, you single women that may not be a mom yet, that are persevering in your patience. We appreciate the value you bring to the body of Christ. The value... Listen. Listen, moms and women, we would be nothing without you. So thank you very much. Thank you. And I mean it. I'm not messing around. I mean it. And in our society, even still, you know, there, there are different methods and ways that people try to bring equality. But listen, the Holy Spirit already has taught that you're equal and valuable and in many ways are so much more valuable than us. And we appreciate you. And I think God wants you to see that the very first people at the tomb were ladies, faithful women. Now men, we got to step up our game a little bit in being faithful. We need to step up our game. It's unfortunate, but in many churches today, women are running the church because the men won't step up. And in many cases, women are running the home because men won't step up. And certainly that's an inequality that God would want to also change so that we serve together. And that's where they come back to the leaders, the women come back to Peter and John, and they don't even believe them. They don't even believe them. Notice verse 3 now, back in John 20. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So check this out in verse 4. So they ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter, and came to the tomb first. And so John not only is loved by Jesus, but he beat Peter to the tomb. And I wonder how I wonder how many times they have reenacted this race in heaven. And John just lets Peter win. Just okay man, you can win. We're even. But that little competitive, it, it is, it, not only is it John, you know, we don't really know the motive of John, but I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit inspired John to write this. But, but it does tell us the urgency of where they're at. They didn't walk, they didn't stroll, they didn't say they'll take care of it after lunch. Man, when they got word, they took off. They're unbelieving, but they still took off. And maybe there was a little competitive race, or it was just the sake of one beat the other, but here they are. And they come to verse 5, they, and he, this is speaking of John, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Peter came, following him, went into the tomb, and he saw the cloths, linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Verse 8, then the other disciple, John, who came to the tomb first... We know that, John. Went in also, and he saw and believed. Now, if you like to write in your Bibles, I want to draw something out for you here that's very fascinating. And and you'll notice as we read through that the word saw is used three times. Now, in the English language, we see the word saw, and we think it's the same word. You see something. But in the original language of the New Testament, and it's always important for us to remember that... The Bible was not written in English. Do you know that? The Bible was not written in English. Even though we have an English translation that accurately represents the original documents, the Bible wasn't written. It didn't start in English. In the New Testament, now those of you guys that know this, answer me out loud. In the New Testament, the original language was Greek. Now, if you didn't know that, I'm going to let you know now. So now you can answer from now on. The New Testament was written in the original language of the first century in Koine, or common Greek, the common language of the day. They spoke Greek. The Old Testament, for those of you that are Bible students, the Old Testament original language is Hebrew Hebrew for the most part. There's a couple sections in Aramaic, but mostly Hebrew. So sometimes it's very important for us, especially those of us that teach the Bible, to go back and look at the original language. Because in the original language, you might pick something up, and I want to show you this. So come back with me, and we're going to look at each instance of the word saw, and we're going to learn something. So notice with me in verse 5, circle the word uh, saw, let's see if it's 5, he's stooping down looking in, saw, circle that word, it's the Greek word blepo, B-E-L-P-O, and it's a word that means to observe and to glance at. So here, the very first step was just glancing within the tomb. Then secondly, in verse 6, Peter comes, he goes into the tomb, and he saw. It's a completely different word. Circle that word, and right next to it, thereo, T-H-E-O-R-E-O. Different word, different meaning. So they went from just quickly looking, secondly, to look in and to observe. So he looked and he thought about it. The third use in verse 8, in verse 8 it says the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw, it's a third different Greek word, this is the Greek word aido, E-I-D-O. I I might be pronouncing it wrong, but it's spelled E-I-D-O, and it means to see with understanding and to grasp the situation. And so you say, pastor, why are you pointing this out? Well, I'm pointing it out because I think in the scriptures God is reminding us that in our lives, there is a progression of faith in our lives. We go, from, we go from in our lives just kind of seeing and checking it out to the point where we see and we observe and really think about it to finally coming to the place where we see and believe and it moves us to action. There's a progression of faith in our lives, just like you see a progression of faith. So what that will do for you is it, it shouldn't, you, you, you will, it'll take away from you and me the discouragement that someone else is farther ahead from us and we're still right here. Why? Because you're right here because that's where God has you right now and they're right here and a little bit of far advanced from you because they're progressing in their faith. And so you will progress too if you want to. You'll progress in your relationship with Jesus too if you want to. I mean, if you don't want to, then you'll just stay a churchgoer. That's, you'll just stay a person that kind of comes to church every once in a while or, or maybe doesn't even come to church and just turns on the internet every once in a while because you, you're hungry, you're, you're at the place of you, you want to look, you want to check out, but you're not ready or you're not desirous. Or, or you might be in that place where you take the next step and you're thinking about it right now. Or you could be at that place where God is grasping your heart To follow you. I think of, you can jot it down in Mark's gospel, chapter 8. Well, let's turn there. Let's turn there. We have some time. Let's turn to Mark chapter 8. This is an interesting miracle that also gives us insight on progression. On progression. It's a a miracle of Jesus healing a blind man. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Notice this. And he came, speaking of Jesus, to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of town, and when he spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into this town nor tell anyone in the town. This is an interesting miracle for a couple reasons. One is the method that Jesus used to heal this man. Now, you have to, if, if you really want to grasp some of the insights of the Bible, you really have to grasp what's happening here. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try to bring that to you and to bring that to us right now. And I'm going to ask you, close your eyes. Close your eyes right now. Close your eyes. Even those of you that refuse to, close your eyes. My eyes are closed, but I know you're not. So close your eyes and just pretend that right now in this moment you can't see and you hear a commotion. Jesus comes up and he says, he comes to you and he says, do you want to be healed? And you say, yes. And there you are. You're being walked out of town. There's probably not any, keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed. This is all happening. We can't see. We have our eyes closed and Jesus taken out and he's ready and and as you're there and you're in Participating, what is going on? This is so different. <laughs> exactly. Maybe not that dramatic, but there's those rides at Disneyland where they have, you're in that room and it, they get it all dark and in the front, you can open your eyes now, by the way, you're healed. You're healed. You have it in the front of the chairs where part of the, part of the uh, activity, they have water squirting at you. And I, that would have been nice to get chairs like that for this, but it's, you get it right away he can't see and and there's a sound of spitting in his face and then he touches his hand touches his face and he says what do you see now this is god who has the power to heal and the next thing out of the out of the blind man's mouth isn't i can see everything he says i can sort of see things are blurry i kind of like see people like trees you know moving around then he lays his hand on him again and then he's healed. It was progressive. Like, like God was working in his life, drawing faith out from him with his, first he couldn't see at all, then he could partially see, and then he could completely see. And life is like that in our relationship with God. There's a stages in our lives. Well, since I moved to Colorado, I've really adopted this mentality of seasons. There's seasons in life. There's seasons, and we might call them stages, but there's seasons in life. And one of the most profound seasons in life is winter, winter. Some of you are in a winter right now where everything seems dormant and, and, it's, and it's cold and it's difficult and it's hard. But everyone, all of you know, man, if you're in winter, you can't wait for spring, man. I, I'm, it's not even winter yet right now and I'm still, I want spring already. And and you're in a winter season spiritually right now. You're looking for spring. You want the the grass to turn green again. You want leaves on the trees again. You're looking to get out of this season. And what happens? Seasons come and seasons go. There's a progressiveness. Now you might be what you think is a perpetually season of spring where everything's green and the birds are chirping. But the reality is, is that spring comes and goes as well. And we all go through seasons and stages in life and in spiritual growth. And coming back to John 20, you see it progressing in how they're approaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's it's seasons. They're not getting it. Because notice, again, as we close in verse 9, in verse 9 it says, they're seeing, they're observing, they even have a form of belief, but in verse 9, they didn't know the scripture. For as yet, they didn't know the scripture that he must, not that he will, but that he must. Why must he rise again? Because it was prophesied and predicted by God, and that he must rise again from the dead. And the disciples went away again to their own houses. John believed, but he didn't quite understand what the Bible said. He didn't quite understand, really, what the living word Jesus taught him. He didn't quite understand. He didn't yet know the scripture, and it's too bad. So you can take this in two ways. Um, Some among us, you just don't know the scripture, you don't understand it yet. You just don't understand it. You're in that progress where God is still going to bring understanding into your life. But there's a whole different way of looking at this and that is so many don't understand the scriptures today because the scriptures aren't being taught. And that's a problem. That's a significant problem in the body of Christ. It's been a significant problem among the people of God dating back into the Old Testament. Dating back to where God declares there's a famine in the land, a famine for the word of God. There's a famine in churches today. There's a famine in homes today. There's a famine in your life today for some of you. And it's too bad that many today, this scripture would describe them, they don't know the scriptures, so they are not unable to understand them. And a lot of it just stems from the leadership of churches around the world, not focusing people on what's important. And what's important is what the Bible has to say and how it applies to your life. Like the Bible has the answers to the things that are heavy on your heart. God has an answer for you. He has a direction for your life. He has strength and hope. It's not going to be in the textbooks, and it's not going to be in the opinions of man, and it's not going to be in the ups and downs of the stock market or where your 401k might be, or it's not in those things for direction of life. It's the Word of God, the living Word of God that's powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. And it's just unfortunate today. In a real way, I've been here in Colorado pastoring now for 18 years. I pastor another three or four in California, and I've just seen this over and over and over again, a lack of taking people to the Word of God for the answer in their lives. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's many churches that teach from the Bible. They sort of use it. And they'll take a verse and a scripture here and then launch off into something that will keep people entertained for 30 or 40 minutes. And then you can leave going, well, but but I'm in a church that uses the Bible. Well, praise God. Don't be in a church that doesn't use a Bible at all. All right? So I'd rather have you in a church that at least uses a scripture. Then no scripture at all. But, but, it, but being in a, and for us, so, so let's talk about us for a second, you know, forget out there, let's talk about us. Just because we go through the Bible doesn't mean that you're taking the Bible and living it. You know, I'm thinking back in 18 years, I probably have shared, man, who knows, 1,000, 1,500 Bible studies here. But it doesn't really matter what I've taught. It matters what you've learned from the scriptures and applied it in your life. Because if you happen to be in a place, and again, recognizing the study goes out outside of these walls, out into on the radio and such around the country, I I realize this, that it may not apply to you necessarily, but maybe you're visiting today for the first time. You go, man, what do you guys do here? I'll tell you what we do. We go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And yes, unfortunately or fortunately, it takes us a long time to finish a book. So I was thinking today, this is study 100. You guys got the 100th study in the Gospel of John. And we probably could have done it in 30 or 40, but we did it in 100. And there's still more to come. We're not done yet. Uh, we still got two more chapters. And we teach through the Bible. And I hope by teaching through the Bible that all the time that we teach through the Bible, that it, you, you get it somewhere along the way. And you adopt it and adapt it into your own life that the Bible is a source of your answers. That, that you really actually don't even need me because the Holy Spirit is a better teacher than I am any day of the week, every day of the week. He's the true teacher. That you don't really leave here and go, oh, what a great message, but you leave here saying, oh, what a great God that's given me, that loves me and loves my family and answered the question on my heart, answered the issue in my life, has given me direction. You, you can't live on cotton candy, you know? I mean, you might think you can, but you can't. You can't live on cotton candy. You know, the idea that that you can just have a few things that taste good from the Bible, and, oh, Ed, just give me the things that taste good. Give me the things that taste good. Believe me, I'm into things that taste good. We just went to Estes Park recently, and first of all, it was packed on last Monday because it was Rocky Mountain National Park Day or something, and it was packed, but that was good because every store was open. And what I've learned when every store is open is that there's a lot of stores selling taffy. And those stores all have a bowl that says, free sample. And I'm into free samples. And so I went around and I got a free sample and I asked Caitlin to get a free sample because she didn't want it. I said, well, to get it and then give it to me because I'll take it. And at one of the stores, she said, Dad, why don't you just go in and get two? And I said, because technically, I don't want to sin. So you get yours, and then give it to me, because who knows, this might be a Bible. No, I said, just just go get it, and she got it and gave it. So I'm taking hers, and we're going store to store. I'm eating hers, I'm eating mine. Sometimes Marie would get one, and I'm eating her. and it's so good. It tastes so good. We did the whole loop, and then... We stopped at our favorite candy shop there that makes amazing homemade caramel. Amazing. So of course, we got to get the regular caramel, the salted caramel. And then I asked for an extra one when Marie's there. I said, can you give me one of these too? Because it's salted milk chocolate covered caramel. And so she came out with the box. What did I do? Well, I'm done with taffy. It's caramel time. And so I took the one that I took for me, and I took the chocolate one, and listen, by the way, if you need help on how to eat salted caramel, you eat it salt upside down on your tongue. And that's what I did. So I put it in, and I'm eating it, mm, nice. I finished the chocolate one, then I went back into the box and I got a salted one, and I'm taking it, and it's, it's so good, it was so good. It was so good, because I haven't eaten that much candy in a long time, right? We have guests over that evening, so we got to run back home, get things done, clean house, get the food ready, because we're going to have guests there, and guess what happened? My tummy was aching all night. I wasn't the best of hosts. I wasn't because my stomach was killing me because of that beautiful, wonderful caramel that was made and all the free samples. May I say with that illustration that there's a lot of people naming the name of Christ that are bellyaching in life because they're not eating the right stuff spiritually. They're not taking in, and unfortunately, a lot of that stems from the leadership in churches that are more interested in other things than getting the word of God into people's lives. And I realize sometimes I have to share very difficult things. This is a difficult thing. Some of you are not even happy that I'm sharing this because it's convicting to you. Because your devotional life is just not where it needs to be. And I don't mean sitting down five minutes reading the Bible. I mean your love relationship with God who loves you. The mindset of the consciousness of God in your life. It's not where it needs to be. And so now you're here sitting in church. I mean, think about, think about what God has called us to do. How many of us, other than church show up, actually get up early, take a shower, get ready, get the family ready, purposely go somewhere where the odds are we're going to hear something about our lives that we need to improve. We don't normally live our lives like that. But God, who loves us so much, is going to speak into our lives the areas that we need to improve. He's going to put his finger on different things. Some of you, even within a church that... I mean, our our view of providing to you the Word of God, our view, my view, is that I don't provide to you cotton candy, although maybe a little bit of dessert here and there might be good, but that you you get a well-rounded meal from the Bible. When I sit down to study, I think about the different stages of life that you're in, and, and put together a well-rounded meal. Now, we used to say, I used to say in the day, you know, a nice big steak there. But I know so many people are vegan and vegetarian now. So whatever soy, bean, steak, whatever it is for you, you put fill in the blanks. But something that's going to be nourishing to you that you really want. And a little mashed potatoes there. And, you know, that, that's good. And then, and then there's got to be the Brussels sprouts, the nasty little fake cabbages <laughs> that people say are good. People I'll get emails today, Ed, if you put enough butter on listen, if you put enough butter on anything, it's gonna taste good. But but I gotta give you that thing where you even look at it and you're like, oh, what is this? What is this? And you kind of push it off the table. Let the dog and the dog doesn't even want it. The dog's pushing it under. I don't like this. He gets look up at you, what are you doing? I want your steak, man. <laughs> So as we end our time today meditating on the Lord, I just, I, I want you to know whether you call the office here and you ask for help, whether you show up in a small group, whether you come here on a weekend or you show up on a Wednesday, we don't have anything for you but God's word. We don't have anything for you. Our opinions don't matter. Our, our personalities don't matter. Y- y- what you need is not a diet of cotton candy, man. Because then you're just going to be sore all the time. You're going to have no strength, and discouragement going to be your friend, unfortunately, when it's really our enemy. And the disciples here, they're just not there yet. Although they will be. That's the good news. But as we leave verse 9, verse 10, they're not there yet. Just like you might not be there yet. You're thinking, you're understanding. You're grasping, but you're not there yet. And the good news is that God is patient with us. He loves us. He loves to serve us. And he wants to. And so, Father, I just pray as we think through this time today and, and as we are growing in your grace and and your mercy and your love and care for us, Lord, we just walking through, you know, a few verses, it's just a few verses that um, describe the life of your believers. Um, describe the life of those that are close to you. Um, I pray that your spirit would have his, have his way among us as we sing and meditate on these truths. We, we cover quite a bit in just a few verses, uh, quite a bit of thought, quite a bit to chew on, quite a bit to consider. And so, God, we, we, want, we, don't, we want to draw near to you, and I pray that this time that's afforded to us would be used by, by, um, by you. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.